Thanks so much for listening in to the Saints Hill Church podcast. Our vision is to see heaven come to earth, and we do this by equipping the saints to know who they are in Christ, to walk in freedom through the truth, and to make disciples who change the world. We hope this message draws you further into relationship with our Father. And if you would like to give to the mission of Saints Hill, please visit our website at saintshill.church. And thank you. Your generosity helps to keep Saints Hill going. Now, on to the message. In you I find my joy. We're starting a whole new series tonight to mark the Advent season. And uh, we're calling this series Signs Point. Signs Point. See, whenever God does something in the physical, here in our world, here on earth, since we aren't currently living in heaven, whatever he does, whether it's a word of revelation, whether it's healing, whether it's a time of worship where you're just like, I see you clearly in a way that I haven't before, um, the purpose of that sign is to point to heaven coming to earth. So you even think about the star that directed the wise men to Jesus. The entire point of that physical star being in the sky was to point to heaven himself. Signs, whatever, whenever God acts or moves in our midst, signs point to the greater reality, which is relationship with heaven himself. That's what signs do. So a couple weeks ago, um, I just had this idea for our Christmas season, that we should look at the moments in the Bible that prophesied about Jesus coming. We should look throughout the Bible at the signs that pointed towards the Messiah coming, and what we should do is we should ask the question, well, what do those signs say about who Jesus is and what that means for humanity? What do these moments that talk about Jesus coming actually mean for us? So tonight, we're going to look at the very first time the Messiah is mentioned in the Bible. So turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. All the way at the beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3 is where we're going to be this evening. And really what I want to do is I want to tell you the Bible's grand story in a different way than maybe we're used to hearing it, especially around Christmas time. Um, in, in Bible speak, Bible language, we call it the meta narrative, the whole story from cover to cover. We're going to look at one of the major threads that runs through the entire story. So... While you're flipping there, getting to Genesis chapter three, uh, go ahead and just yell out some names of the Messiah. What are some names of Jesus? Jehovah, I, wonderful counselor, what else? Emmanuel, yeah, that's a good one right around this time. What else? Physi the great physician, yeah, that's absolutely true. Prince of Peace. Awesome. A lamb of God, that's one of them, or like Lion of Judah. There's all these names used to describe uh, the Messiah, to describe Jesus. But do you know what the title, the most commonly used title was that Jesus used about himself? The Son of Man. The Son of Man. Now, you've probably heard of the Son of Man. He uses this all throughout the New Testament. Here's just one example in Luke 19. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Now, this title is interesting to me because this title, we just named a bunch of titles about, of Jesus that seem far more glorious and amazing than this one, the Son of Man. You're like, wah, wah, 
Like we're all sons of men, right? And women, it's like, what? What are you, what are you exactly getting? It just seems sort of basic. In fact, there are some who have thought because Jesus likes this title so much that he's saying through this title, I'm not God. I'm just a son of man. I'm just a human. But is that what he is really saying? The biblical story of humanity goes something like this. God creates the world. He then gives purpose and authority to humanity. And God says that these humans are made in his image. Now, this is a huge deal. In fact, the word made in the image of God, or the word for uh, the image of God, is actually the Hebrew word idol. So you have to think about this. It's sort of like a king would make an idol of himself, a statue of himself, and put it in a garden or put it on display for people to see. We are idols of God placed on earth to present what God is like here. So that if you want to know what God looks like, he's like, I've actually, there's people who bear my image. There's my idols that I have placed on earth. And humans are designed to not only present what God is like to humanity, into the world, but we are to present his rule to the world. Genesis 1 verse 26 says that the the vision statement for humans is to rule and reign over God's creation, over animals, over our families, over land, over industry, over all sorts of things that happen here on earth. Now, if you remember, humans are presented with choice in the garden. It's not random. It's actually necessary for there to be love. Without choice, there is no love. And so there's choice in the garden between two trees. Now, this choice presents an opportunity. And we're about to read about it. Look down at your Bibles, verse one of chapter three. Now, the snake was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. Everybody say, wild. He said to the woman, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the snake, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. Verse four, you will certainly not die, the snake said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When women saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now pause for a moment. Here is the classic dilemma. Even if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, you've heard about this story. But I want to bring something out of it this evening um, that might be a little bit new. Remember the sort of relationship that humans are supposed to have with animals. What is it? Ruling. Humans are supposed to rule over animals. But what's happening here? An animal is ruling over humans. The beast, the wild animal, has gotten control. Skip down to verse 13. Here's what God then says after this moment. Then the Lord, God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? 
The woman said, the snake deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the snake, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity, everybody say enmity, between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Did you see what's going on here? You can't get 10 minutes, seemingly, away from the fall of humanity, from the first sin, without there being just a little light at the end of the tunnel. Humanity has been deceived at this point, failed to be God's idols, ruling over animals. Rather, they're ruled over by an animal. A beast rules them rather than ruling the beast. But notice this line in verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. So there's this weird, there's the offspring of the serpent, offspring of the woman, and there's a battle between them. He, she gets singular, or uh, God gets singular here, and he says, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So notice the snake is gonna get crushed. So redemption is coming and notice it's through a human. It's through the offspring of Eve. There's mutual injury, right? The snake is gonna bite his heel of this individual, but he will crush the snake's head, the victory for the son of Eve. Now, this is a famous moment in the scriptures, and uh, there's been many people who have talked about this, waxed and waned about what this means and, and, and who this person is. Uh, here, here's a painting by Caravaggio, uh, and, and this kind of depicts this moment of the snake being crushed. It's just really kind of visceral. And what I want to do as you think about this crushing of the serpent is I want to focus on this line between your offspring and hers. There's gonna be enmity between offspring of humanity and offspring of the snake. Because this is a prophecy, and it's sort of puzzling. It's like, is there gonna be a battle between snakes and humans? And some of you are like, yes, I hate snakes, right? Um, but, but I think it's maybe even a little bit more deeper than that. It's, it's there's gonna be a battle between being influenced by the serpent, being influenced by Satan, and the humans who choose to be influenced by God. There will be a battle between those who become offspring of the snake by listening to the snake, by being ruled by the beast, and those who become true humans by listening to God. Because what we find out in the story of Genesis is those who listen to the beast will end up acting like beasts. This is really what the rest of Genesis depicts. Think of Cain and Abel. Before Cain kills his brother Abel, here's what God says to him. And pay attention to this. This is fascinating. God's speaking to Cain. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. How is sin personified by God here? Crouching. What crouches? An animal, a beast. What does it want to do? It wants to do the very thing that the serpent did. Sin is crouching at your door like a wild animal. It wants to rule over you, but you must do what your parents didn't do, and you must rule over it. 
Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out into the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. What does Cain do? He does what a snake would do. He lures his brother into a field, sneaks up behind him and bites him, attacks him. He ends up acting like a beast. And at this point in the story, it's jarring. It's this shock. The idols of God are destroying one another. It's horrible. And and what this shows us is that the seed of the serpent is sin. It's sin. Those who become the seed of the serpent are those who are ruled by sin. But there will be other offspring. This force, this inclination to define what is right and what is wrong on your own is sin. And it gets even worse if, worse if you know the story. There's this, name, there's this man named Lamech, who then, in this, within this chapter, Genesis 4, he brags about killing a man who just injured him. So, you know, you think about like eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. This guy just like hurt him, and then he goes and he kills this man, and he makes this grand claim He says this, if Cain was forgiven, then certainly I can be forgiven as well. He's defining good and evil for himself, what he is allowed to do and get away with. Now, here's what's crazy. The the name Lamech in Hebrew is an inversion of the letters for the word king in Hebrew. So who is Lamech? He's the inverted king. He's the backwards ruler. He's humanity as it's not supposed to be, using rulership for the wrong thing. So here's where we're faced with this question at this point in the story. Who's gonna be the true human and do what Adam didn't and do what Cain didn't and do what Lamech didn't do? Who's gonna deal not only with sin, but with the serpent itself? Who's gonna be the human who crushes the head of this wild beast? Turn to the right in your Bibles to Daniel chapter seven. Daniel chapter seven, Daniel is a a prophet and uh, goes right after the book Ezekiel, Daniel. Daniel um, is a prophet who lived in, in, in Babylon. He was a part of the exiles from Israel who were carried away to Babylon. So you gotta you got imagine what it would be like for us to be existing in this place. We think masks are bad. Can you imagine another country or another nation coming in and invading us and then taking us away to live in their country and probably not live very well in their country? That's what's happened to Israel. They have been removed from their land and taken to Babylon. Now, Daniel kind of rises the ranks as a very smart and intelligent, handsome person in the kingdom of Babylon. And so this king, Nebuchadnezzar, kind of takes note of Daniel. But the problem is this. This king is like a beast. He's treated Israel in a beastly way, removing them from their land. He's even, at one point, he requests that his dreams be interpreted. And when his uh, staff can't interpret his dreams, he kills everybody who's on his paid staff just kills them. Kind of a beastly thing to do. In fact, later on in the story of Daniel, um, he actually becomes like a wild animal, and he goes and he eats all of the things. For seven years, he eats all of the things that God gave animals to eat in Genesis 1. 
That's what his diet becomes. He goes insane and grows his hair out, loses his mind, and becomes like a wild beast. So there's this kind of juxtaposition between Nebuchadnezzar, this beast, and Daniel. Now, within the story of Daniel, Daniel has this dream in chapter 7. And in this dream, here is where Jesus picks up this language of the Son of Man. He has this wild dream. Here, we can take that off for just a moment. He has this wild dream um, where there's lots of bears and lions, and there's these wings that are not on birds. They're on other kinds of animals. And there's even just a a singular beast who just talks a bunch and and brags a bunch, and he's really a problem. Um, And and these beasts, we learn, represent evil nations who have trampled humans, who have ruled over humans in incorrect ways. Ways. So remember, the snake, that beast, that wild animal trampled humans. Here's another dream with a bunch of other beasts that are trampling over humans as well. Now, here's just a glimpse into this dream. And there before me, this is Daniel speaking, there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. So this is a really disturbing dream. In this dream, these beasts are eating humans and they're devouring humans. Now, here's what happens. What happens next is God shows up. The Ancient of Days is his title in in Daniel 7. The Ancient of Days shows up. The beasts are then taken by God, thrown into a fiery uh, lake. And along with God showing up, he shows up with his throne. There's an empty throne next to it. Make note of that. And here's what happens. Daniel 7, verse 13. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. There appeared one like a son of man. And he comes to the Ancient of Days, he comes to God, he's given authority, he's given power, glory, and what does he do? He takes the empty seat. He sits in the empty throne. See, we actually know, as Bible scholars in the room this evening, we know who that seat was for. That empty seat was for Adam and Eve. That empty seat was for Cain and Lamech. That empty seat was for us because earth was intended to be ruled by humans in partnership with God. So this imagery of the Son of Man is so, so important. The Son of Man is the human who can take that co-ruling throne. It's the human who's really human, who isn't ruled over by beasts, but instead rules over the beast and allows humans to become human again. So why does Jesus refer to himself as the Son of Man? Because he is that human. He's the human who can do what we couldn't, to stomp the beasts who trample humanity and rule alongside God. This this chapter, Daniel 7, was of such central importance to Jesus that he used its imagery and language to describe himself and his calling and why he was forming the church with humans. 
He's saying, I am the son of man. I haven't come because humans are so bad, but because I long for humans to be human again, to rule over the beast, to crush the head of the serpent instead of be ruled by the serpent. This is what it means to be in Christ. This is what it means to be one with God, what it means to be a part of the new humanity, to have a heart of flesh rather than a heart of stone. Jesus made all of that possible when he went to the cross and he triumphed over his enemies and ours. Do you see? Christmas means the snake is crushed and humans can be human again. That's what Christmas means. See, whenever humans try to be God, and they try to decide good and evil for themselves, they end up acting like beasts and being relegated to doing what beasts do. But when humans submit to God and to his voice, they end up becoming his true image here on earth, just like Jesus was. They begin to extend his kind of divine wisdom, his kind of divine rule into the world. And this is what it means to rule with God. This is what God wants most for his creation. Christmas means humans get their glory back. They get to join in the crushing of the serpent. Romans 16, here's what Paul says. I love this. Obviously picking up on this language. I rejoice because of you, but I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. It's a good word. So how do we become a snake crusher? How do we become a snake crusher? How do we join Jesus in being human again? Two thoughts for us this evening to get a little bit practical. The first thought is this, is that we have to become unafraid to be glorious. As humans, do you see the value? Do you see the beauty of this? We have to be unafraid to take that throne and sit in it next to God, to co-rule and to co-reign. It's hard to escape the vision for human life in these passages. It's so beautiful. It's so kingly. It's so wonderful and glorious that God would invite us to even inherit the same thing that Christ is inheriting. So here's what I want to do. I want you to close your eyes and I'm gonna read a passage over you. I'm gonna read Psalm 8 over you and I want you to just think about the value this place is on your life. This is Psalm 8. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider that your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set into place, what is mankind that you're mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This poem begins and ends with the majesty of God, the glory of God. So I'd like to suggest to you this evening, whatever is in the center of this poem is what increases and describes his majesty. What is the content? 
of this poem, the whole poem is about how God has elevated a creature to have glory and power, and that creature is human. It's humans. God's glory isn't threatened by a glorious and awesome humanity. It is increased. It is described. One of the biggest plots of the enemy is to get you to not like yourself. And sometimes what happens in churches is that we actually sanctify a theology of self-hatred and we call it humility, but it actually works against what God has intended for us to be. To get you to doubt yourself. That you'll ever have anything great to do. Don't think of greatness. (laughs) While at the same time, many believers, they oscillate between entitlement of wishing that they had a better life or a life with more power and self-hatred. It's mistaken identity. That's where it comes from. And it it results in twisted rulership. It It results in acting beastly. The answer to sin on earth is for humans to be glorious again. See, this self-focus and others' focus of this self-hatred and this entitlement and I wish I had what they had and why did they get it and I didn't and I deserve that but I really actually, no, 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 I'm bad, I hate myself and I shouldn't have anything. And That self-focus is the same thing the enemy has been doing since the garden. What was the plot of the enemy in the garden? I want to suggest that it was to get the human rulers to become less God-aware and more earth-aware. To become more concerned with the wisdom and power of earth and less concerned with the voice of God. And how he did it was by questioning their worth and their identity. If you eat from this, then you'll really be something. If you do this, then you'll really be something. If you just listen to me and do this thing right here, then you'll really have the identity that you're after when they already were like God. So secondly, not only do we have to be okay with being glorious, secondly, we need his voice. We need his voice. This is really what this whole message is about. It's very simple. We become human again through his voice in our lives. All sin begins with thinking. (laughs) All sin begins with a thinking issue. For Eve, it was questioning God without asking for his input. If you notice in Genesis 3, it's very interesting what it says. Actually, let's go there. Flip back to Genesis chapter 3. I just want to read this because this is a really kind of interesting thing. So he says, you'll certainly not die, for God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And then it says this in verse six, when the woman, what, saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. What is that? It's a thought process about her lack without involving God's voice. So what is, I think this is kind of important, especially in this season. What is contentment? Like, was she content? Were Adam and Eve content? No. They perceived they had a lack. We wish we were like God, and we don't really feel like we're like God, and maybe this guy, he just said that. You know, just even that suggestion, then you'll be like God. It's like, well, am I not? 
Maybe I'm not. Oh my gosh. Contentment isn't being okay with whatever you have. I'm just okay with it. Contentment is not allowing lack to define you. So sometimes what we do is it's not that God doesn't want things for us or for humanity. It isn't that God even wouldn't. I mean, there's probably a lot of conversations God wants to have with them and go, hey, actually being made in my image means this and you can eat from, and this tree is really good, I promise you. And let's talk about what we're doing over here. He wants conversation. But if you allow lack to define you, then you begin to think earth to earth, earth to earth. I don't have what they have. I wish I had that. Why don't I have that? Maybe, I'm, maybe there's a lack in me and, 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 and my marriage looks like this and my kids look like this and their marriage looks like that and their kids look like this. And, oh. Contentment is ultimately a relational transaction in which you, through understanding your identity, understanding who he is, what he's given you, you, allow, you, you don't allow lack to define you. You allow him to define you. See, we need his voice. What Genesis 3 teaches us is that we are incapable without God's thoughts to say no to beasts. What Genesis 3 teaches us is that we are incapable without his thoughts to say no to beasts. So we end up crushing the snake in our lives by living off reception and living off receiving from God. Romans 5.17, maybe one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible, and certainly picking up on this language, says this. For if by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace, in other words, abundance, not lack, how, many, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness, what? Reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. You will either reign or be reigned over based upon what you receive. You will either reign in life or you will be reigned over based upon what you receive in this life from the Lord. The question that we should come to when we come short of reigning in life, when we look at, if you're sitting here tonight, maybe you're going, reign in life. Um, I'm just trying to make it. <laughs> Reign in life, uh, I'm just trying to be kind of somewhat have a normal life. The question we should come to when we fall short of reigning isn't, what am I doing wrong? And maybe if I just, no. It's what have I not received from you yet? Where in my life have I not allowed you to fully love me with your abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness. These are actually, can you put that passage back up there? I, I kind of want to go into something real fast for a moment. Um, there's a lot of people that are okay with his abundant provision of grace, but they're not okay with the gift of righteousness. And the people who are not okay with the gift of righteousness, righteousness aren't okay with it because they've bought into a theology of false humility, and they're not okay with being glorious. And so you have a lot of people that go, Grace, yeah, I just, I, I'm a sinner, and so when I sin, I, man, I need that abundance of grace. <laughs> and the Lord's like, it doesn't go far enough. There's a free gift of righteousness over your entire life. And if you only stay at that abundance of grace, how many of you guys understand? That's a pretty good life. But how many of you understand? It's not what God intended for us. He intended more free gift of grace 
and the gift of being righteous, having a righteous identity, standing in his presence, knowing there's nothing that you can do to get outside of his abundance and love for you. Knowing that Christ, when he said it is finished, he meant it. He meant it. So I would argue that when you fall short of reigning in your life, the question isn't, am I doing something wrong? If I, maybe, okay, I'll just fast or I'm gonna, I had this whole season of life where my buddies and I, we had this accountability group and anytime one of us messed up, <laughs> sinned, we'd be like, okay, gotta fast tomorrow. <laughs> it's like, what? Uh, don't do that. Um, what we have to understand about this is that if I'm not reigning, it's because I have yet to receive fully. And I need your love. When you choose a lifestyle of receiving from him, you will not only learn about what his love and forgiveness can do in your life, but his love and approval over you will free you up to learn who he has made you to be and for you to love yourself. Put your hand over your heart. <laughs> Say this with me. Identity comes from receiving. Identity comes from receiving. Secure identity, well, you don't have to say that too. I, I'm, I'm moving on, that was really good. So hopefully it did something for you. Secure identity precedes reigning alongside God. It's very hard to reign if you don't know who you are and you don't love yourself. I'll never forget it. Um, I, uh, I, Andoni must have gone to get his child, but this is gonna honor him regardless. Um, the first, one of the first times I ever hung out with Andoni, um, I sat down with him and uh, I think I had just preached, I was working at Bridgetown at the time, I, I think I just preached that Sunday before, and uh, Andoni, come in here, I'm, I'm telling the story about you. Um, I, I sat down with Andoni, well, the first time, I'll say this, the first time I met Andoni and Lauren, I met them at this young adult event at Bridgetown, you guys remember that, at Tilt, it was years ago, it changed my life, I could almost, changed my life. <sighs> Jake and, uh, and Doni have walked with me for the past, I don't know, it's almost been eight, eight plus years. And uh, guys have changed my life. <laughs> you taught me this. Okay, all right. Ah, <laughs> yeah, all right. You guys taught me this. I remember I met with Andoni and he's like, he's like, when you speak, it's like fire comes out of your mouth and it hits people and sets them on fire. I was like, what? Who says that? I was like, I knew he was from Bethel. I'm like, that's pretty Bethel. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm like, oh, thanks. Yeah, thanks. And he's like, how come you didn't receive what I just said? And I'm like, I don't know. I, 
I'm like, what? <laughs> uh, I'm like, I did. It's fine. I'm, that's nice of you. I don't want to get like puffed up and prideful or whatever. So I just got to think I'm bad at teaching. But really inside, I'm like, I got to be amazing at teaching, you know, whatever. And he's like, when you do it, it's so amazing. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, thanks. And he goes, you can't receive it because you don't love yourself. And then he said, if you don't receive the crown, <laughs> he's like, if you don't receive the crown that I put on your head in this life, what will you have to throw at his feet in the next? And I'm like, gosh. I'm like, I'm like I don't love myself. You know, it's, it's, it's um, gosh, what the heck? Has this ever happened? This has never happened. Jeez. I need, I need Andoni to leave. Go get your kid again, bro. God's doing something in this uh, church. It's so fun. Uh, anybody who knows who they are in Christ will never want to be anybody else. It's so important that we know who we are. It's so important that we, we allow the Lord to speak into our lives and to tell us how he sees us. A secure identity precedes ruling and reigning. It was a misunderstanding of who humans were that led them to reach for something they weren't. And so we actually have this privilege to reverse Adam and Eve by listening to God and delighting in the glory and power of who he's made us to be. It's one of the reasons why we're, it's called St. Hill. We're saints. And we're the saints who choose to go up the hill and to meet with God, to meet with Yahweh face to face, to be transformed. It's the call of this church. We exist to give Newburgh a taste of its future. There's people who are falling asleep tonight and they're wondering if there's anything more to this. They're wondering if there's anything more. In our church we exist not to try to get a bunch of people to gather together and have like a good gathering or whatever. We exist to meet face to face with God and to become representatives of what it looks like to be a people who host him, a people who hear from him. When somebody understands who they are and what they have to offer, they no longer compete with others out of lack, acting beastly towards one another. God gives them dreams and vision for how they can serve those people they once competed with. This is what it means to reign in life. This is our privilege, and this is our message to the world this Christmas. It all starts with something very simple. This is what it starts with for you. What does God say about you? What does that son of man say about these sons of men? And what does he say about your situation that you're in right now? This week, I... Um, I had kind of a stressful um, week, kind of a relationally difficult week, and um, it's not very common for me. I really, um, I do, Jake knows this, I do like everything I can to stay out of drama. <laughs> like, I am so drama adverse, like most of my, I don't think I've had drama in my life for years, basically. <laughs> um, but this week was different, and um, you know, it's easy to believe when you're in drama, when you're in conflict with other people, it's easy to believe that you're the one who's right all the time. 
and um, the other people are the problem, and it's because of this way that they think or this way that they act. Or, and I just found myself with this particular individual in my life just getting really angry at them and just thinking, like, I bet they're doing this. I bet they're doing that. I bet they think this. And I was just kind of getting worked up about it, and then I was, like, thinking about what I was supposed to preach on. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, there's a serpent <laughs> who's crouching at my door. And then I thought about God. And I realized that I had been allowing my thoughts and assumptions to spin out of control towards this person without ever asking God what he thought of them. I'd been content with deciding what was good and what was evil and who was good and who was evil while anxiety began to build up without ever going to God and saying, I'm hearing this, but what do you think? How do you see them? And so I did it and took time. I asked the Lord, how do you see this person? What, do you, what are you speaking over their life? Do you know what happened? I got a word for him, and all of a sudden, all of the peace in the world rushed in. See, I had to go get his voice before I had peace and before I had authority over the situation. Peace precedes authority. To have earthly peace, you need heavenly wisdom. The only, you know, one of the things that we love is that story of Jesus in the boat. I'm going a little long, so if you need to go grab your kid, you won't offend me. Um, I love that story of Jesus in the boat um, where he's sleeping through the storm. And they wake him up and he calms the storm. And there's a guy named Bill Johnson, he's a pastor, who has said this and it just has always stuck with me. The only storm you have authority over is the one you can sleep through. To have earthly peace, you need heavenly wisdom. So, let me ask you this question. What rules you? Or maybe better put, what voices have you been listening to? What thoughts are in your mind? This Christmas time, it's time to be human again and to get his thoughts. Let's stand together. I think the Holy Spirit's gonna meet us in a pretty unique way right now. So we just invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and to give us your thoughts. It says in the scriptures, God, that your thoughts out about us outnumber sand on the seashore. So we just say thank you. We wanna know them. You've given us your mind, the mind of Christ. We're so grateful. So here's what I want you to do right now. I want you to just bring to mind that situation that's difficult. I want you to bring to mind that person that's difficult. And I want you to just simply ask God, what do you think about them? You know, the serpent speaks so loudly sometimes, and sometimes it even just sounds like our own thoughts, God. So we need yours. We just invite you, come and speak, Lord. Open up to the Holy Spirit. He wants to give you a word about that person. He wants to speak something over that person that's better than the thoughts you've been having. He wants to speak something over that situation that's better than how you've ever imagined that situation would end up. So we just, just take a moment to be quiet and we invite you, Holy Spirit.
What, what are you saying, God, about that person? What are you saying about this situation? Lord, we just submit to your voice. We want to rule and reign again. We want to take that empty throne and want to sit next to you. We want to be human again, Lord. Uh, Andoni's going to come on up, and we have some um, words that we're going to share from pre-gathering prayer. We also want our prayer team right now, if you wouldn't mind coming up to the front. And we want to just have some ministry time uh, right here. I feel like there's two people the Lord has, has put on my heart to pray for this evening. And um, the first person is somebody, and maybe it's many, many people, but people who don't love themselves like God loves them. Maybe you're sitting here and you're like, anybody who knows who they are in Christ will never want to be anybody else. I wish I was everybody else. I wish I had that gift, that talent, that life. Man, you have yet to see who you are. And so if that's you, we want to pray for you. We want to pray over you. We believe that God wants to just release his love over you in a really, really unique and powerful way. He wants to tell you who he sees you to be. And it's just gonna, it'll blow your mind. It'll, it'll be one of the most amazing things that you hear. Um, but the second person that we want to pray for is people who you just feel like the snake has had his way with you. You feel like your thoughts are just a battleground and you've just been under siege. You just constantly are bat wrestling with your thoughts. You're up at night. And I just believe that God wants to speak prophetically over you. There's people up here on our prayer team who would love to give you a prophetic word. They would love to, to ask God to speak into your life and to just banish the voice of that serpent, to, to make you turn you into a snake crusher, ruling over the beast rather than being ruled over by the beast. And I just believe that God's gonna do that this evening. So if, that, if, either of the, if you're either of those people, Get out of your seat right now. Come on down to the front. We're going to pray over you. Andoni has some other words for other people from a pre-gathering. Yeah, um, the words, actually, my phone died, so I don't have all the words mm. that we used to have. Okay. Um, sorry, guys. Um, but uh, I, I do remember there was a word for Asara, and that the Lord was actually calling you um, to an encounter with his presence. And... Um, that there was, um, Jack, what were you saying? <laughs> it was good. Well, Sarah, come to the front. Jesus <laughs> wants to encounter you. Nice. And, uh, and then uh, there was another, um, I have a feel. I had a, a word right now. I was asking the Lord, hey, give me something for right now because we need it. Um, I feel like the Lord is actually giving an opportunity for anyone that's actually want to call people's, the, the people's uh, destiny and the prophetic uh, the Lord is opening that invitation. So if you have seen what we've been doing about calling out prophetic and seen um, calling out their, their words of knowledge and you've never done it before, it just happened today. Like I saw Mariah gave a word uh, to, like she said, I had this person's name and that person was sitting in front of her and they didn't even know that they were, uh, she didn't even know their, their name before. And I just want to see that happen often here yeah. and just come into the alignment of who God called you to be. So if you want to receive that and that's like feels like you want to step out, come to the front. Yeah. And um, yeah. And if you have any anything in your body that needs to be healed, we want to pray for you as well. Yeah, actually on that note, I have two things. People who've been in car accidents and you've had some kind of um, injury from car accidents, we want to pray for you. And then also people with any kind of bone issues. Um, I don't know if it's like atrophy of the bone or a broken bone or something like that didn't heal right. Could even be like skeletal, your back or something like that. I just, those are two things I feel like the Lord's wanting to heal this evening. So come forward if any of those words resonate with you uh, or if you want healing of any kind and we'll uh, continue worship. Thanks for listening. 
And if we can do anything to help you, or if you want to stay in the loop with what is going on in and around the church, you can follow us on Instagram, download the Saints Hill app in the App Store, or visit our website, saintshill.church. Burdens getting lighter, and you're so